Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, joined alongside, as I am every week, by the the lawn jockey-sized former mighty might of the midfields, Grail Allison, Syria Specialista. I keep getting smaller and smaller. Exactly. You can't even see over your own shoes by now. Uh, Syria Specialista and OTB producer, the young blood of the program, Mr. Sam Griswold. Today on OTB, we get caught up with our buddy, our man, Mike Wojtola, the executive editor of Soccer America, to talk about where everything stands as far as U.S. soccer goes, the fallout from the U.S. team's failure to qualify for the Olympics uh, the third time out of the last four qualification rounds for the Olympics, four out of the last five guys Jesus, SOS, uh, really a setback for the program. And as always with Mike, he uh, he really knows what's going on with that program inside and out. So we'll talk to him about that. Uh, you know, also we'll talk about the U.S. friendlies, the, the the two friendlies that the full national team had, plus some Champions League changes. Sergio Aguero, going to miss that man. Uh, so, gentlemen, before we get going, what are we over today on Over the Ball? Sam? Uh, yeah, so I'm over the lack of information out there about this upcoming MLS season and the MLS in general. Uh, this comes with a quick little story. A buddy of mine is getting into this uh, some new online fantasy soccer game over in Italy, and he's specifically interested in MLS because it's a sort of untapped, unknown market. Uh, and he was asking me to find out some you know, up and coming, exciting players for him. And uh, uh-huh. I was just kind of impressed by how little there is out there. And I think the MLS is really missing uh, a real opportunity here to have a really fun fantasy game in place, um, which has become such a huge part of watching sports these days. Uh, I know the MLS just rolled out a new website, but just in general, I still think it's hard to find information. Like I wanted to find a website that showed me the projected lineups for every team for this season. Right. Uh, and I was unable to do that. So and plus you don't know the backstories of a lot of the players. I mean, we've talked about this on the show before where you, you are more involved, invested emotionally in teams and players when you know who they are and where they came from and how they developed as, as players. So I think, uh, I think you're right. I think everybody's got to do a better job with that. So, um, and you know, these fantasy leagues, it's unbelievable. So my nephews yeah. play these things and that's how they know the game. You know, the players in the game by the fantasy stuff. So it's it's definitely something that has to be addressed. Grail, what are you over? I'm over the decision to have no VAR in World Cup qualifying. What oh. is that about? I just stumbled across this watching the game yesterday. I should have known this, but for some reason they decided not to do it. I don't know who makes that decision. Apparently it's an economics decision because not every federation and association that represents the teams that are qualifying can afford to have the technology to which I say, Hey, FIFA pony up the money and have VAR available. Bring the equipment there. But I guess you talk about a stadium in Belarus uh, or something, you know, they're just, uh, they don't, they're not set up for it. So I think you're probably right. Grail FIFA should step in because my God, you know, these feel good stories can be uh, all the airs taken out of the ball if there's a, a really bad screw up. And I mean, how, you saw you yeah. saw the, the main storyline of the past week, I'd say, was the Ronaldo goal that didn't. Yes, that didn't count. And he, you know, threw his armband down and kind of stormed off the field. And I think it's amazing how quickly you get used to VAR. And then all of a right. sudden, yeah, it's hard to go back. And yes. even we, when we have VAR, we're still not completely satisfied. So there's no perfect answer. But these blatant ones. Uh, are really 
you know, they're, they're upsetting. It's a bummer. Man, well, it would be the know. equivalent of certain tennis tournaments having Cyclops, the uh, technology they have for balls, you know, in and out of the court and some tournaments not having it. I mean, you wouldn't, that wouldn't be uh, acceptable. So why the right. hell? So anyway, come on FIFA, step up and pay the, pay the money. Oh yeah. FIFA's always been so upfront and <laughs> about things. They, they always do the right thing. Uh, All right, guys. So let's, let's talk quickly. We're going to talk to Mike. We're going to dive deep into this a little bit with Mike Oitola. Um, executive editor of Soccer America in a bit, but what are your thoughts quickly on the the failure for the U.S. team to qualify for the Olympics? Guys, getting your pre-production notes, it was interesting. Uh, Sam, you you were as indifferent about it. You were like, you don't think it's a big deal. It doesn't really you know matter that much in the scope scheme of things. Grail, you thought it was a calamity. So who wants to go first with this one? <laughs> I don't know if I use the word calamity, but calamity. thank you. <laughs> Go ahead, Sam. Yeah, I I just don't think the Olympic soccer is a very big deal uh, at all. I mean, you look at the teams that generally qualify, they're not, you know, traditional soccer powerhouses. I mean, I think Honduras has made it to now four or five in a row. And clearly yeah. they're very invested in their U23 team and getting to the Olympics because they don't do very well at other levels. Um, right. I just don't consider it really that important i mean that said it seems like with the talent this team had they should have qualified i still think it's like a failure in that regard but i i'm not lamenting not getting to see this team at the olympics that's a bummer yeah that's a sam, and, and two, two respects sam sam's you, thoughts sam, and i mean what is what is u23 soccer i mean it's just it's such an odd age group but i just find the olympics really strange in general when it comes grail to did you just say the ignorant you you no, it'd be, what, it, was it, it, the oh, old 60 oh, minutes oh, thing only, yeah no only we would get that from snl circus 1977 or whatever yeah, right man you just have, you just age yourself they right used to there have dan Aykroyd and jane Curtin, and dan Aykroyd would say jane you ignorant slut jane you so, ignorant slut <laughs> but, but in any case the only reason i think it's a big deal sam is because it can't help but be compared to what the women are going to end up doing uh, at the Olympics. They'll obviously qualify. They'll obviously be watched a lot by U.S. viewers. And I just think the absence of the U.S. men's team just begs the question, why aren't they there? What's the deal? Mm. And and again, and, and just the competitive aspect, I think the more right. we can play in tournaments like the Olympics, the better it is for the program. Well, and look, I, I think uh, part of what we talked to Mike Coitola about is the composure uh, that guys like Pulisic have and Gio Reyna playing at the level that they're playing at. Now you have this sort of the undercard guys. Uh, need this experience without being overseas, perhaps some of them, some of them domestically, you need some of that international experience to sort of, uh, to cure your, your sort of, um, your, you know, development into the next level. So, uh, you know, for again, N it's for NBC, it's a loss. I can tell you for the broadcaster to not have another national team, you know, playing in the tournament just as a setback for their ratings. Right. Right. Okay. So let's yeah. talk to full, full national team, their pair of outings there, they beat up, to make a pretty uh, handily. I mean, look, you know, Grail, I think you, you made a light of Wales. <laughs> These are teams that they're playing. It's sort of teams that have beaten us in the past, teams that have done pretty well in the past. I think, um, you know, we act like we're a top five powerhouse and we're not, but uh, I see some really hopeful things there. Um, what were your thoughts on the game, guys, on the two games? My biggest takeaway was I was very happy to see Burhalter experiment with a slightly different formation. I mean, it wasn't mm -hmm. a huge mm -hmm. departure from how they've yeah, played. Away from the four-three-three, right? So, I think you know the U.S. has such a tough sort of identity crisis to deal with, and that we're a powerhouse supposedly in Concacaf, and then when we go play in the World Cup, we're kind of an underdog. Uh, and I just don't think 
it's the kind of team you can play with one style. I think you have to be able to adapt when you're playing a team like El Salvador versus when you're playing Spain in the World Cup. Uh, mm -hmm. I just think it's really naive to think you're going to be able to play the same way. Uh, because like you said, Kevin, we're not a top powerhouse. So right. uh, I, I was very heartened uh, to see that little tactical yep. experiment. Plus people, plus people treat, we're, we're the United States. So we're the big dogs in everything else. And so yeah. with soccer, it's uh, it's, it's interesting. Graham? I, I, I agree with you, Sam. I, I think it's important. Um, and I think it was in the last world cup or well, two world cups ago, since we didn't qualify last time, Klinsman in one of the last games sprung a new system on the team, yeah. right? And the team was not prepared to play the system. Well, players I, I can't remember played if out that position. was against Belgium. I can't remember who it was. But, yeah, they were out of position. And so to your point, Sam, I think it's really good to – obviously, you don't want to have five different systems. But if you're able to adapt to maybe a couple different formations and practice between now and then, I think it would be really helpful because we're going to be up against right. different, different challenges. Um, the other thing that I would say was really encouraging to me is I just – again, I thought Tim Ream was great. I, I was really, I hadn't seen him play in a long time. Um, as, as I said to uh, Mike, Wattala, I, think, I, think I, I didn't recognize him, but because uh, he looks so different, but he's just very composed in the back. I mean, it's so good to have a guy playing wing back who's just great distributing the ball, good on the tackle and just doesn't get rattled. It really helps. Well, it, you know, and then he, he doesn't go forward like a Sergino Dest, that's for sure. Um, but uh, I know. think the power the power was in the man bun. Um, oh my god! And, and I think I think you know the three four three is really a formation that plays better into um, Tim Ream's sort of skill set. I think yeah. you know if there's four in the back, it's right. he's not a wing back for sure. He's not a totally a center back, so it's sort of uh, a, a hybrid that's that's difficult a difficult model for him. So I think he did. He did do quite well. And, uh, and Pulisic, really, I mean, Pulisic did not have a good game against Jamaica. He mm -hmm. was just kind of absent. But against uh, Northern Ireland, I thought he was excellent. Really penetrating yeah. runs, got the burned the penalty kick. Yeah, he was, it, he was the best take, player in the didn't, field. Didn't take the world's best penalty kick, but it went in. But it yeah. went in. But yeah, I thought he was the best player out there. <laughs> All right, let's talk EPL quickly. Uh, Sergio Cunuguero. On his oh way out God. of Man City, what a career he's had there! What, a, what an amazing a, player! This is a big deal. I mean, he's he's been there since 2011. He came from Atletico. He's the number one. You know, he's he's got the scoring record at the club: 257 goals. Um, they've already said they're going to build a statue of him next to Vincent Company and David Silva outside the stadium. And now it's a matter of, you know, he's still 30, he's 32. He's about to turn 33, but he's got another good three years. That's why I don't think it's MLS for him now. I think it's, he could go back to Atletico where he came from. He could go join his friend Messi at Barca, or he could go to, you know, an Inter or an AC Milan. Oh, yeah. he, in, in any case, he's going to make some good money over the next three years, provided he can stay healthy. That's he's coming off an injury and that's the only question mark for him. But I just, I feel really good about how this is being handled. It's, it's all up front. The club is showing the appreciation and he in turn is showing his appreciation. Yeah. So there's a lot just, of, a lot of interest uh, in uh, him in Italy too. So yeah, I, yeah, I, don't I mean, he's going to MLS quite yet. Anybody who says that man doesn't have goals left in those legs is, is crazy. The guy can play. He's struggled with some injuries, but man, the guy can still finish. So, uh, and, you know, here's a feel good story too. We've talked about Rory Smith and the great stuff that he's doing great coverage for the New York times. I mean, um, it's about time. It's, it's wonderful to read all these articles, but I love his, uh, 
his article on Jesse Lingard and the rebirth of sorts for him um, as he's left Manchester United. And, uh, you know, as apparently David Moyes always knew his potential. So uh, it's, yeah. it's been five goals in seven matches. It's been wonderful to watch. And Southgate <laughs> called him up. Yeah, he, he actually got in for a few minutes at the end of the Poland game yesterday, and he was definitely a cast off at United. And he brought some of it onto himself because he was a little bit too overly exuberant on social media and things like that. But I'm, I'm happy for him. He's found a good place. And now he's got other clubs other than, other than West Ham interested in him. So good for Jesse Lingard. So uh, Champions League, there's news there. It's taking shape, uh, a, a new Champions League taking shape, guys. Yeah, we mentioned this last week a little bit. It seems like this Swiss system, I don't know why it's called the Swiss system, by the way, uh, <laughs> is eventually... It's, it's maybe because it's neutral, Sam. That's the only thing I thought was... Possible, right? yeah. yeah. Or maybe there's uh, holes in the proposal. <laughs> uh, so it's on hold right now because I think the, the European Club Association has kind of hit back at a few of the, the new ideas. But I think essentially we're going to get what we were discussing, which is a 36-team league, one table. So they're basically doing away with the group stage, adding four more spots for legacy teams. And then we're going to have the knockout round as it's been. So it it is a change, but it's not... It doesn't seem as drastic as I feel like some people are making it out to be. Um, and I, I don't know. I ultimately well, think it'll be a more entertaining way to decide the knockout rounds. And we know what it is, Sam. It's more games equals more revenue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and that's right. exactly what it's about. I mean, it's a lot more games when you compile. Every team's going to p- play, I think, 10 games. So it's just a lot more games. And uh, uh, it also, it also, as we said last week, Sam, it, uh, it, it probably prevents the big clubs like the Juve's from getting knocked mm-hmm. out. Yeah. It insulates them for sure. Exactly. But, I mean, exactly. I, I've been struck by, you know, everyone says this is what people want to watch and everything. They want to see Bayern Barca. They don't want to see, you know, these wildly unequal games, but you know, we have March madness going on right now. I don't really follow the basketball, but watching the hockey, I mean, it's so exciting and it's not because it's great hockey. I mean, the level in fact is not that high, but it's the fact that it's one game. It's all or nothing. It's Mm -hmm. so much drama. I mean, I don't know. I feel like they're missing that a little bit. Well, and on any given night, Sam, you know, an Oral Roberts can knock off an Ohio state, you know, which is, which is great. Fans love that, right? Fans love the ability for the, yeah. yeah. Yeah, That old FA cup feel, you know, anybody can beat anybody and move up. So one thing I'm going to miss is uh, watching Lewandowski play. He's out for four weeks. So it's a bummer, huh guys? Yeah. It's just, you know, I I feel for him because he's having the the season of his career and he's had a lot of good seasons and uh, he's not going to be able to return apparently till around May 8th. He's got a strained right knee ligament which means he's going to need six goals in his final three matches to break the all-time Bundesliga uh, scoring record, which is which I think he had kind of in his hip pocket until his injury. So it also hurts him in Champions League, obviously, because they're not, um, you know, Bayern's not going to have him for both legs against PSG. So that's a big deal. In Poland, Poland, he scored a couple of goals. In Poland, yeah, he had just scored two goals, and then yesterday against England, he wasn't playing and made a big difference. Indeed. Yeah. So, uh, all right. So let's talk a little bit about the, the Champions League matchups moving forward. Um, we got to get to Waitola pretty soon, but um, what do you got? Grail? Yeah. So um, let me, yeah, let me throw them out to you guys and let's do our predictions. Cause this is always, fun. I hear so, papers rattling, Sam. Oh, well, we do. Going Wait, yeah, I'm, I'm going to the notes. So on uh, April 6th, we've got uh, Man City against Dortmund. 
Who do you guys yeah, like? Fun to uh, Man City. I think I do. Yeah, I'll okay. take Man City overall. Yeah. Okay, let's do a score. I'm going Man City two one. What are your scores so that they're they're actually uh, captured? Three three one. Okay. This is the first. This is the first leg. First leg. Doing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In England or wherever they're yeah, playing. Yeah, it's at Man City. Uh, yeah. Two zero. I'll say. Okay, and then we've got the same day. We've got Real Madrid at home against uh, Liverpool. I've got one all. Um, I think Liverpool are going to win that two one. Okay. Yeah, two nil. I'd say two nil Liverpool. Okay. Liverpool. Then uh, the next day we've got Porto Chelsea played in Seville. Because butchering, the, butchering no, the language. Sevilla. Well, I yeah, could have said Sevilla. Um, because of COVID pro- travel protocol. So both those games are actually uh, both first and second legs are going to be played in Sevilla. So anyway, I'm going with one all in that game. Uh, for who? <laughs> I'm going to go. Yeah. <laughs> Chelsea boy. One, one. Uh, uh, Sam? I'm going to go zero, zero. Okay. Yeah, I'll do the same thing. I think there's going to be a little, you know, early round shutdown. And then we got Bayern without Lewandowski against PSG at home. Bayern's at home. I'm going to go one-all for that, too. I've got a lot of one-all draws because I feel like we're getting to that stage where everybody plays a little bit more conservatively. A little tight, yeah. yeah. I'm going to go one-nil, Bayern. Okay. I think Bayern are going to win 2-1. Aren't PSG without Neymar right now? Yes. I think, yeah, okay. Yeah. Neymar, which could be a positive sometimes, I think. Um, so, oh, good, sure. good stuff. So, um, all right, guys. And did we see any games this week quickly before we get to Mike? Uh, any of the qualifiers? Guys? So I, yeah, so I did, uh, I broke down and I watched the uh, England-Poland game, which again. You broke down? <laughs> well, I, yeah, you know, I, I just haven't, I hadn't watched really. There's so many qualifiers on, it's almost yeah. overwhelming, right? So anyway, the reason I watched this game is because I was a 13-year-old in England on October 17th, 1973, when England got knocked out of the 1974 World Cup at the hands of Poland, they drew one all. Brian Clough, the uh, manager, famously called the Polish goalkeeper Tomaszewski a clown before the game because he didn't like the way he jumped around. (laughs) Anyway, Tomaszewski had the game of his life. England couldn't get the winning goal and they got knocked out. And as a kid, I'll never forget to go going to school the next day. It was devastating for people in England not to qualify for the World Cup. And hence the the Anglophile uh, yes. that we have here who loves that game. I, it's funny. I watched. I was in. Uh, I was on a, doing a TV show when up in Canada. I spent the summer up there when they did not. When they lost the World Cup, the uh, Hockey World Cup to the U.S., and it yeah. was like devastated. The whole city was just just under a big cloud. Everybody, nobody would even exactly. talk. Well, just we, drink we, we, sitting there. Yeah, we should also mention North Macedonia stunning Germany two one. Yeah, um, it was the first. Uh, I think it was the first first time loss for Germany. Yeah, in, in twenty years for in a home qualifier, yeah. and uh, Timo Werner, whose confidence is already at zero is now at about minus three because he missed an open goal in like the 85th minute or something. He's the bad guy. And Sam, what's happening in Syria before we get to Mike again here? Uh, Yeah, well, we, you know, we had the break, obviously, but the big news was that uh, the coverage is going to be moving from ESPN and ESPN Plus to uh, CBS and Paramount Plus. Uh, They've agreed on a new deal for next season. I don't don't have all the full details on it, but uh, I'm a little bit annoyed at things jumping around, mainly because it means I'll have to buy a new package, unless they want to hire me, then I'll be psyched. Yeah, exactly. um, but 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think ESPN has done a great job with ESPN, but it's totally. gotten... They phoned it in. No doubt about it. They phoned it in. So. Well, in 90% of the games, I'd say they do sort of surround the 245 Sunday game now uh, with a little bit more extensive coverage. They have Klinsman on there, which I'm sure you'd love. They have Marcotti. Uh, and they have uh, Alessandro Del Piero, whose English is not mm-hmm. as bad as you might imagine. He played in Australia for a little while. So I've been saying for a long time they need to get an Italian who speaks English, you know, a former good player, someone like Christian Vieri, who was on BN for a while, mm-hmm. uh, to give, you know, the, the Serie A sort of a, a prominent, Engle. exciting English voice because that's where it really, you know, uh, like how about a, how about an American who knows the Syria game inside and out? A young Sam Griswold would be my vote there. I wouldn't mind it, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't think the, uh, I, I you know, Serie A is doing, uh, you know, new TV deals in Italy too right now, and they're really trying to revamp everything. I, I just think it's a pipe dream to think they're ever going to compete um, at any level with the Premier League, but you know, they got to try, I guess. And uh, Megan Rapinoe, I thought pissed me off, misrepresented some stuff again with her with a large megaphone that she has. Uh, and she's done such a great job at so many issues. But the one issue that I think she's really fallen short on is is basically telling people the real facts behind uh, the contract stuff. But good news coming out of NWSL. Uh, Grail, this falls right into your. Yeah, they, they added Ally Financial as a sleeve sponsor and as uh, the official banking partner. Now, what does sleeve sponsor mean? Well, just on the, on the side. Oh, on the, the sleeve. The shirt, the s- yeah, sleeve. Shirt sleeve. Okay. Shirt sleeve. Uh, so yeah. you'll see Ally Financial and then they'll, yeah. they'll do banking related stuff. Apparently, some of the contract money that they're signing is actually going to go directly to players. I haven't heard the details of that, but yeah. So now you've got P and G you've got secret, you've got Verizon, you've got Anheuser-Busch, which is Budweiser and you've got nationwide good list of sponsors. Once again, though, the one thing they don't have is the, they've got the TV deal with CBS sports, but it isn't close to the 21 million pound deal that the uh, WSL just struck with sky sports and BBC. So the thing talk about talk about uh, you know equal pay. You're still going to have the WSL over in Europe able to lure players away with significantly more money than the NWSL. And it's happened quite a bit. Yeah. So I mean, this is a this is a problem for the domestic league. So yeah. I think that's what should be the focus of people's concern. And again, go to the games if you want to support the women's team, the women's national yeah. team, and and domestic soccer in this country. So all right, guys, anything else? Let's get to Mike, huh? Yeah. All right, you're listening to Over the Ball. We'll be back. Uh, we're t- going to be talking to uh, executive editor of Soccer America, Mike Goitola. You're listening to OTB. Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Go to SoccerAmerica.com slash join and sign up for the Soccer America Pro Membership. It's just $4.90 a month or $49 a year. And by Ticket IQ, the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets. Go to TicketIQ.com. And when it asks for the promo code, punch in OTB10 for $10 off of your purchase. Can't lose. All right. Joining us now on Over the Ball, a man who can help us make sense of all this madness that's going on in the world of U.S. soccer and uh, soccer around the globe. He's the executive editor of Soccer America, Mr. Mike Avoitola. Uh, we had a little discussion before you got on, Mike, about your name, how to pronounce it. It's, uh, you know, I'm not going to do the German pronunciation. Voitola, das ist, uh, Sam knows and Grail know that I have a problem with the whole language thing in our game here. But um, a German name, so we'll say Voitola. Yeah, yeah my, my full name is Michael Horst Voitola. Uh, oh, wow, man. That sounds like a hell of a striker. Ooh. Sounds like but a guy who put more balls Mike, in the net say, than Mike Voitola. You can say Mike Voitola. 
All right. Well, welcome, Mike. Hey, so we're sort of licking our wounds here. We kind of saved, uh, kept our powder dry to talk about Olympic qualifying or lack thereof. Um, boy, you know, such hopeful um, player sightings. You know, this this pool has gotten bigger. We've had such high hopes for uh, qualifying. But how does the Olympic qualifying, or I said the lack thereof, uh, affect us, the program? How, how, how much of an emergency sign is this for us all? I don't, I think it's a good question because I really don't, it's hard to qualify how important the Olympics are because it's a hybrid type of tournament, right? It's a youth tournament. It's an under 23 tournament. Um, you know, FIFA doesn't recognize the qualifiers as being important enough to, for clubs to release their players. Uh, I'm looking at a list of the guys the U.S. didn't have. Reggie Cannon, Mark McKenzie, Brendan Aronson, Richie Ledzima, Paul McCall, Giannis, Pulisic, Adams, McKenney. I mean, so obviously the U.S. has a U23 team that would be much, much better than the one that was down there. Uh, you could argue it doesn't really matter which ones they had. It, it, you know, the second team should pull it off too, which I agree with. Um but it's almost kind of like, like a jinx thing. Like they always lose to Honduras. You know, Honduras is amazing at that age level. They're the only CONCACAF country that qualified for the last four Olympics. They finished fourth at the last Olympics. Um, so that's sort of the part of my well, answer. Interesting. I think that's a fact that a lot of people don't know. I mean, you forget, you know, year to year each qualifying round. But, you know, Honduras, I, I thought they were a good team as well. They gave it to Mexico too. Um, it was a tough loss for them there. But, yeah, they played well. Uh, to quickly address that uh, is interesting. What happens to the players in Honduras between their present age and then when they go to the full squad? Is there some sort of I mean, lack of a well, league right? or something? Or no, I mean, you know? Hondurans have a pretty good history, um, you know, for a small country. Yeah, the, uh, I, th I like the way they play soccer. I, I really like the um, the countries like Costa Rica, Honduras, Colombia that have kind of a mix of the Latin and Caribbean styles. Um, I think that what should be looked at was perhaps the coaching um it was interesting that on the first game when they lost to costa rica it looked to me like they did it wasn't it was a bad it wasn't a good was it wasn't a bad game it was a pretty good game the u.s didn't play poorly but it looked like they played without a midfield um and they didn't have a playmaker not having a playmaker is a problem now Julio Giannis got hurt right before i think he's a playmaker type um then when they lost to honduras that same day uh greg bearhalter played against northern ireland and they did very well and Bearhalter changed his formation and had a 3-4-3. Three, three. He had four midfielders. Now, I thought that was interesting and, and maybe even ironic because Price is doing this 4-3-3 three, three thing, and those three guys are just not – you just don't see them. You know, they're running around trying to do defensive stuff. I right. believe that what Price was doing was the Bearhalter system where the two outside backs bear so much responsibility for the attack, like yeah. half of it. You know, like they're the playmakers, um, which has two problems, I think. One is it's predictable. And two, if you're playing a good team like Honduras, which, you know, they can attack lightning quick. Um, those two outside backs aren't going to be able to attack a lot. So then you yeah. got three guys who are outnumbered in midfield. So I think tactically that's something that frustrates me, you know, with the way they play. Well, the change of formation at the senior level might, you know, I mean, generally, you're trying to all stay on the same page. So um, it was frustrating. You know, one thing, one note I wanted to, to just point out was, you know, you and Paul Gardner have been proponents of the, the Latin player here in this country and the underutilization of them. 
it seems like a lot of the players on the on the you know the the Olympic squad and also the full squad are are basically Latino Americans. Uh, yeah, no, that's a really progress? positive thing. I yeah. think that that's finally it, it, it's been happening over the last few years where there's more Latino kids who are playing on the youth national teams, um, and and I do think and both Christ and uh, Bearhalter's teams have a more more of a Latin flavor, which I which I think shows in the style of play. I mean, I I enjoyed watching the U.S. national team play. I think more than I have um, in a lot of cases in the past. Uh, Grail? Yeah, uh, Mike, great having you as always. Um, one of the things that uh, some of the pundits brought up, which I agree with, and I'm curious your thoughts, um, are just in the big moments, uh, whether it's World Cup qualifying, Olympic qualifying, we just seem to lack composure. And, I, you know, teaching composure is very difficult to do, but I'm just wondering what that we looked really nervous in that game. And, and, and I don't know if that's a lack of coaching or what, it, what it is, but I'm just curious your thoughts about that. Like in the biggest moments, we just tend to jam up the most. Yeah. I saw some of those comments and I'm not sure about them because again, I mean, if, if Weston McKinney and Christian Pulisic were out there then, or, or Gio Reyna, then they wouldn't have been nervous. Um, mm -hmm. I, one of the problems with soccer is that it's so low scoring that, you know, games are decided by one goal and then people come up with a complex, um, you know, right, right. theory, theories on, <laughs> you know, Americans don't, can't handle pressure situations. So I, I'm not sure how much of that was the case. I will definitely agree with you that the U S looked nervous in that Honduras game. Um, you know, the, the was it Kessler, one of the central d defenders, is fouling the Honduran in his own? No, they're fouling guys in their own half. Um, mm. They, I, I, I do think the Hondurans. I mean, if you watch that game, some of the skill that the Hondurans had, you know, combined with some incredible speed, um, I think they were better. You know, I don't know if it was a mentality issue. I think it was maybe they, them being a better issue. <laughs> yeah, I, th I thought they played better than Mexico at times. So. Um, but, you know, it, it reminds me, though, guys, because I think there was the nervousness was there because of past history and mm -hmm. the pressure of that history. You know, you don't want to be what the fourth team out of the last five qualification rounds to not make it again into the Olympics. And it, it, it reminds me of, you know, sort of the, the way I watch England play when they get to the World Cup. They seem to get so nervous not to lose. They play mm -hmm. not to lose. And that's a horrible way to play. You know that when you're playing with confidence and that cocky confidence that you need as a soccer player, um, if you, if the stakes are too high, sometimes guys fold and they seemed like a team that was in their heads a little bit, not and, to lose. And, and conceding that goal right at the end of the first half just compounded the nervousness. I thought, going but I, I, I think that speaks to Mike's point, which is yeah. like this one, you know, kind of these screw ups and everybody makes a bigger thing about it where uh, you're talking, you know, it's really, we have to talk generally at this point, you know, like, I mean, they didn't dominate. And I think, Mike, you've actually just thrown us a, a life preserver here because it's um, if we had all our players, they wouldn't have been nervous and they would have qualified. So um, yeah. I think it's it's one of the the tough parts of what Burhalter does. You know, you have all this multi-layered coaching. Well, the, I mean, I'm looking at the list of coaches and I mean, Jason Kreiss, obviously in hindsight, not the great choice, but <laughs> um, you know, he, he didn't, he wasn't 
the, the guy who the, the name that that comes to mind is tab ramos now yeah. obviously he coaches the use of dynamo but he knows that age group better than anybody he coached the u20s to three consecutive um world cups why wasn't he there well right. fill us in mike because i think you know why he's not there i mean there was some sort of the job wasn't offered to him early or something what was the yeah, well he got shut out of the federation when they had like a regime change and they right. went they wouldn't take any of the coaches that he wanted to hire and you know they they didn't even coach hire replacements now I, I i always have a you know i always admire jason christ for what he did with real salt lake when they won the championship playing good soccer um you know he didn't have much luck at nf at um ny orlando fc uh not all his fault didn't really get the you know wasn't really in charge of much there orlando but anyway, that so that's three things that didn't work out for him. But now, why not? You you have the COVID situation, the pandemic situation. Um, you you take a team finally to qualifying because you know the guys that were a lot of those guys I just mentioned were going to be with the team in qualifying a year ago when it got canceled. They were already down there. Uh, yeah. Why not call Tab and say, hey, can you ask your bosses at the Dynamo? If, if you can come down here and spend the qualifiers with us, why not? Perhaps in hindsight, they would do that. I think when you look yeah. at that list, some yeah. of those guys are guys that Tab knows. I mean, he knows yeah. um, that most of those guys are like 20, 21, 22 year old, you know, men, which why not have a coach that really knows those type of players. Right. And they'd played so well under Tab as, as well. So I think, I think you taught, you mentioned regime change. And I think people, when we didn't qualify for the world cup, uh, the last time there was, you know, they swept everything out and I, it, it seemed to take too long. And I think that's part of the repercussions from what's happening now a little bit that, um, you know, remember they, I mean, they didn't hire Burhalter for a long time. They didn't you know, hire well, anybody for a while. I mean, I, the, the Olympics are a big deal for Americans uh, because that traditionally before soccer became popular was the only time that Americans ever paid any attention to international sports. Remember that? Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, you guys, some of you guys are my Sam's, I, Sam's I the young one. That's it. Uh, yeah, he remembers the war of 1812 though. Don't worry about that. Man. <laughs> I mean, back in the seventies and eighties and even during the Olympics, they generally only showed the U S athletes. Now things have about gotten more global and mm-hmm. um, soccer, you know, Americans are used to, I think but that's one of the reasons why Americans really embraced soccer because the global aspect of it makes it so wonderfully interesting. Right. Um, and now soccer is at a point in the united states where it's not that big you know it's not going to hurt that much it's not going to hurt the game that the u.s right at at the olympics you know i don't think it's going to have a repercussion or anything and it's a bummer because it'd be fun to see those i do like you know just a little background the reason it's a u23 tournament and at the world and at the olympics you can bring in three overage players is because fifa didn't want them to compete with the world cup Right. right and when the Olympics became non-amateur, um, then um, they had to do something to make it different. So it's a weird tournament. It's a youth tournament. However, it's one that I like. I like that age group. It's a fun I age group too. to watch. Yeah. 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 Sam? Yeah, Mike, I'm curious. You said you enjoyed watching this team play a little bit. Did anybody catch your eye that you think could be involved in you know, further World Cup qualifying, potentially, hopefully, in Qatar? Well, I got to say, I mean, yeah, I... I I was referring a bit more more to the full national team uh, watching the way they played against Northern Ireland and, and, and the last few games. Obviously, we want to see them against stronger competitions, but they were fun to watch. And even the U23s 
however frustrating, you know, they had their moments. Uh, it was odd, and I think even Christ mentioned it, just how mistake prone they were. Um, you know, I think the players, the, the guy that I was really looking forward to see is, is was uh, Olianis, who got hurt right before he got there. Um, you know, Saucedo to me is like a... Olianis, let's, let's back up, talk about him a little bit. Now, I, I don't know him that well you know these younger guys pretty yeah Oliana well, so. he was one of the kids that um that that uh Clyben had out in the galaxy you know they had sort of what we think could maybe be a golden generation with Alex Mendez and Efra um Alvarez uh he had those and they're now uh Alvarez obviously is with the with the um with the galaxy the other guys are in Europe and we're waiting to see how they do but you know just really yeah. skillful type playmakers who look like they have a lot of potential um which they could have used yeah all right but i was going to mention that you know sebastian salcedo to me looked like a player who's kind of on the verge of greatness and there's something that he's missing like mm. you know you're watching him and you're going well look at that and then you know it, it doesn't happen and so but he's still relatively young he's not one of the younger guys um you know he he had a lot of playing time in Mexico, Pumas now, not so much. So it's possible that he's going to, if he finds that missing piece that I think he's missing, you know, could be an interesting player. Um, yeah, but like, I think most of the guys in that generation that you're really excited about were, weren't there. Right there. All right. So let's go back to the full national team. Um, you know, a couple of friendlies overall. What are your thoughts? One, one breakout for me has been Brendan Aronson. I thought he was, uh, yeah. he was very good on the ball, direct, um, took chances, um, didn't make many mistakes. I, I enjoyed that watching him. You know what? The, he needs to start, right? Because one of the things that happened in those two games, uh, Jamaica and uh, Northern Ireland is, um, when the player comes off the bench, a lot of guys that came off the bench look really good. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's because the team, fresh. The, the opponent is like, okay, now we're down two goals or now we're losing. Um, right. And we're tired and then we're not, and this is a friendly. So uh, I, yeah, Aronson was fun. I mean, he came out and just, uh, they're, you know, really did smart stuff and, and would come from the midfield and just fly through the, go forward um yeah dangerous dangerous i thought in the northern ireland game both geo and, and pulisic had really good games um yeah. again fun to watch you know they would um they would kind of float back in the midfield to do a little playmaking um yeah so yeah i um i th and that, that both those teams both those lineups were pretty young right i mean mm -hmm. tim yeah. Ream was probably one of the only old guys he's 33 uh, aaron long i mean the, i guess now that I think of it, it's the it's the central defense. I think where when the U.S. plays really tough teams is where the question mark is, right? I don't think I don't yeah. rate Miazga very high. I think he makes a lot of mistakes. I think he has a bad temper. Yeah. I think Aaron Long is a good player, a smart player, but I don't know what he'd be like against. A, I really like Reem back there though, Mike, because I think he's very composed. I like Reem. Yeah, he's Reem's very nice. com he's very composed. He's like a guy who's just been playing at a high level for a long time. I couldn't. Like, I didn't recognize him, but I I really like him. Yeah, I like. I mean, him. I, I'd never seen that look—the man bun and the whole beard—and I was like, "Who is this guy?" Well, I'm still <laughs> locked into to what he looked like when he was uh, coming out of college, and right, he was college yeah. kid. Yeah, came to Short the, hair. the Red Bulls, a St. Louis kid. You know, yep. playing like the kind of defense I like, where they, 
you know, he's not out there flying plates up. He's anticipating. He's he, he, he was like that when he came, when, remember that the early yeah. the, the rookie. He's he's smooth and he looks composed and um and he defends well. No, I really like him. And very good passing out of the back, Mike. He's just very good at like that 15 yard ball to the guy tracking back and he plays it immediately. He's not hesitating. He's just very decisive. We need like a Italian. We need like we, we need like an Italian type. Uh, central defender to go along we have ready. <laughs> who, who couldn't use a Maldini me. <laughs> well I mean they have you'll notice in the Italian national history they have these central defenders who don't look that big you know who aren't like big giants and are just like sharp as you know as a knight and just always there just uh well, almost to play like a midfielder right and, you know, yeah I mean just anticipation and stuff but um and then you know Sergino Dest uh in that Jamaica game you know that was amazing. Whenever he got the ball. Mm-hmm. Scary. It was wonderful to watch. <laughs> yeah, that was fun to watch. Um, That's what I like, you know, I liked about Aronson as well, the, the cockiness that we, we talked about and the which is the opposite of being nervous. Just just sort of, yeah, get on the ball and and uh and head up field, you know, do something positive with it. Sam? Yeah, Mike, you mentioned the US had a new formation for these couple of games. I'm wondering if you think this might be the beginning of a little more experimentation on Burhalter's part. We've been sort of stuck in this one system for a while. I think so. I mean, that was a pretty good I mean, Northern Ireland is crap, right? But they're hard to play, right? I, it, it was it wasn't like beating a really good team, but it was better still than Jamaica. Pretty, it was a good yeah, no, I mean, I don't think I, I think any team that played you know, the best team in the world go, it's not easy to play Northern Ireland and, and they did really well. You know, I, I wonder if, uh, you know, maybe the players said to Greg, Hey, let's have another midfielder. You know, I mean, I see, I see this, I, I see this with the women's national team sometimes where, you know, the only have you have, if you, if you have a four, three, three and the other team has four midfielders, you're outnumbered in the midfield. Mm-hmm. And to me, I don't get that. I mean, and, and the other problem I have with the four three three is that the wingers—it's so predictable. You, they're wingers; they're standing on the sideline waiting for the ball. Why not go with the four midfielders and have two forwards who, you know, move back and move across the field and stuff? So, um, I mean, it—I I, yeah, I mean, it works so well that I—I I would imagine that Bearhalter is going to consider that. Or put it in his arsenal, you know, maybe, yeah, you know, the, the, the plan B. Um, all right. So let's talk MLS. Uh, season comes up in two weeks. Um, good things. Soccer America had a, a, a great article on, on some sort of new PR push that they have, a new program that they have. Charlie Davies, a couple of guys are going to be contributors. Uh, so some good news in MLS. And boy, coming out of the ashes of, uh, are we out of the ashes of quarantine? I'm not quite sure in COVID, but. Uh, boy, we're trying to get a new season together. So two weeks, what are your thoughts, Mike? Yeah. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. And as you mentioned, the pandemic is still there. Um, lots of good news on that front in a lot of, in a lot of places, but you're still worried about it. Um, I would really look forward to going to a game. I, you know, I went to a ghost game last, um, season and it was eerie. It was it, ghost game turned out to be a really good word for it because it's just weird to go without anybody there um you know you get you're talking about limited capacity i would just love to see games where the stadiums are full again the league took like an amazing financial hit i don't know the exact figures but compared to 
big leagues in the rest of the world, MLS depends much, much, much more on, on tickets. Revenue. Yeah. Right. I mean, the Bundesliga ticket revenue is only like 10%. You know, uh, I bet you that the English Premier League is very low too because of their TV deals are amazing, right? right. Mm-hmm. I bet you the EPL can play without fans and be fine because they make so much money from TV. No, it's so, like our NFL here. I mean, they come out of this pandemic with a huge television contract again. You know, it's like, yeah, they, the NFL, the NFL could get two shits whether someone's in the stadium or not, right? Right. right. That's why they have like $100 parking prices and no youth tickets and all that kind of stuff. You know, MLS right. is a, the last sport, you know, I think baseball is kind of like that. You know, it, it, it soccer's the sport where you can bring your family and not go bankrupt. You know? Right, right. Or a corporate box or all the, you know, the things that they have at those uh, those higher levels. So, but it'd be, you know, it's going to be really interesting because I think the league's been improving year by year. Um, they did, a, I think they did a really well, a really good job in during the pandemic, you know, mm-hmm. with the bubble down in Florida and, and coming back and, uh, you know, sports in general um, handle it pretty well. Too bad. Um, they'll survive. Would have been yeah. nice if, the, if schools and the retirement homes were as efficient as the uh, sports leagues were when it came to dealing with the with the pandemic. Yeah, more money, more focus. I think, guys, both of you have a question. Who who wants to go? Yeah, and ask I'll, I'll go quickly. Uh, so, Mike, just shifting to the women's game for a minute. Um, one of the things I love are your player ratings following games. Uh, and... Uh, for the most part, I agree with all of them, and they're very honest and candid. And By the way, Grail, have you ever seen the player ratings on Over the Ball bro- broadcast? Yes, I have. I'm, oh, my God, they're dismal. They I are a, dismal. I'm delighted yeah. I get We're a 10 every time. So, Well, Grail plays nervous uh, in, the, in the Over the Ball. Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, getting back to my question before I was rudely interrupted, um, I, I'm just curious, Mike, one of the things that's, that's always bothered me is when – uh, the commentary for men's and women's games, to me, tends to be different. And I wish that they would apply the honesty and candor that you apply to your player ratings when they're commentating uh, women's games. And what I tend to find is that if you're watching in the exact same play happening in a men's game versus a women's game, somebody misses a very easy chance. They'll say, someone, you know, Josh Sargent just missed a sitter. He should have done better. And then if a woman's missing it, it'll be couched in some other kind of language. And I was just curious if you felt that when you were watching it, it does a disservice because in my mind, they should be just as honest and blunt in the assessment with women as they are with men if we want the women's game to keep continuing to grow. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I, I think in some ways, uh, the men's and the women's game in soccer needs to be looked at as two different sports because I think they're significantly different in significant ways, not, not, not better or worse in one way or the other, but just it's a different type of game. Um, but I do notice certain things about the women's game that um, compared to the men game, men's game can be problematic. And I haven't done a scientific study on this, but um, especially when you watch women's college soccer that I don't think they give enough yellow cards. I mean, you know, the last final four had no yellow cards and I counted like 15 yellow card it could have been yeah that's interesting and, and so i don't know if that's because of a mentality that in the back of their head they're thinking well a woman player wouldn't do something like that um i think that commentary has gotten like in all aspects of soccer more sophisticated i think um it set american women's soccer back because when 
American women's soccer really did super well and was winning all the time. So much of it was because of athleticism and and being better, stronger, faster than the other. Um, and, and more, much more opportunities, a lot more opportunities. Right, but also the, so a lot of us in the soccer journalism world or whether we're soccer fans, we look at the sport and if it's not, being if it's not sophisticated technically we tend we will we criticize it because eventually you're going to lose right because everybody's going to have good athletes at one point Mm -hmm. um and that's a constant with the men okay you know criticizing the lack of you know the skill level etc etc by not being critical on the women's side it um allowed the it it it, it didn't it prevented us from really reflecting on where we needed to improve Mm -hmm. Um, so it's, it's, so there can be very positive criticism. And I think that happened eventually. Right. I mean, that whether it was the people at us soccer, Jill Ellis, or the coach, you know, Tony DeChico, they knew we have to really work on the skill level and it's happened. I mean, if you watch the NWSL and compare it to, you know, 20 years ago, there's a significant, um, you know, increase in, in, in the skill level, but yeah, no, I mean, although, although Mike, speaking of Jill Ellis, she, she made that comment after we drubbed, was it Thailand 12 or 13 nil in the world cup that, and, and they show, and our team showboated after goals, like goals of eight, nine, 10, 11. And those of us who play soccer, I'll speak for myself, were offended by what we did. And Jill Ellis's uh, comment was that we wouldn't have said that if it was men. Which again, I think does a disservice to if we want everybody to be judged the same way. If guys had done that, I would have been just as outraged. Yeah, no. It, um, look, I, I'm a. I think Jill Ellis is one. Of, she's one of my favorite coaches in the history yeah. of soccer. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think 99.9 percent of the stuff she says is accurate. I think she she was not accurate in that statement. Um, but you have to remember that you, you, at a press conference. Um, that's Jill Ellis right now there. She's yeah, okay, hold on. Calling uh, <laughs> no, I think. Um, yeah, hey, Jill, know. I'm on the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Very so, good. That's a long distance boy, call. She, you better answer. She really didn't like my, my statement there. Who has a landline anymore? I know, <laughs> my guy. Why don't you pull out your mood ring and hula hoop? And break it. Um, so, oh, mute. There's a mute button on this. Yeah. Um, you, you have a press conference and someone says, ask you a question and you answer it. And sometimes if you thought about it more, you realize. Uh, Who said it better? Know. Yeah. But yeah, no, I remember that too, because yeah, you would criticize men for that. That's probably even more so, right? Yeah. Like, but because men are like all uptight about it. I never had a problem with them celebrating it, you know, but cool. I know a lot of people, it's like the baseball thing where someone gets in a fight because they steal a base when it's uh, all those unwritten, yeah, unwritten yeah. rules that they have. You These know, guys, guys are grownups who make a bazillion dollars a year. Yeah. It's like, Oh, they up. stole a base and we were up by three. We were down by five. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, all the gentleman stuff, it's you know, out the window with the money, but you know, I, I to go back on a point guys, I have a theory about the women. Um, you know, it's done so well. Here I am, a divorced man. Let me think. Uh, maybe perhaps I don't understand the women very much, <laughs> but I, I will say this. And because Mike, it happened with the men's game, and we were part of this transition where so many people threw so many shots at the game itself. You know, at playing soccer, um, 
you know, all the things as a men's program we had to deal with. When we finally got a chance to have a professional team, we were uh, not so quick to criticize it because we were just happy we had a league and that they were playing and we were trying to be positive all the time as we did sort of these pied pipers of the game. And I think the women, that's a lot about what happened there. We were so wanted them to be successful that no one wanted to sort of criticize them as players, but here they are. And I think, you know, world domination by the women's, you know, national team. I think that speaks to your point, Mike, where it's apples and oranges. Um, look, we can't qualify getting past Honduras. That's how difficult it is to qualify for the Olympics as a men's program. Um, he, here they have it. Now I think it's it's time where, where sort of uh, the criticism can be there. Well, and yeah, I think, and lot- I think that the, the people who compare the, I think, again, women's and men's soccer should be looked at differently. You can't compare the records of the two sports. You just can't. If right. you do that, you're going to open a can of worms. That's not going to be pretty. Um, it's, it's a different kind of game. Um, and, a different set of parameters is what and there's no about. and there's no reason why we can't enjoy it for for what it is the the challenge i think on the women's side is that when it doesn't have the background of the drama of the olympics or the world cup um right. there's more of a challenge for it to um create a a bigger fan base you know not having the history of uh, being a fan of a club for a while you know like Oh my God, you go to a game for a club when you were six and then you like that club for the rest of your life where the women's game is newer. Um, and it's got, and, and it's like any league that professional league that's starting, there's just a lot of other competition in the entertainment world, um, you know, to succeed. So, you know, we talked about MLS starting and I think NWSL, that's going to be real interesting because um, a lot of good news on the women's pro front when it comes to support sponsorship and, um, and now we want to see, you know, fans in the stadiums again, you look at the European attendance figures for women's leagues and, you know, they're, they're not, they're not very high, right. very low yeah, yeah. before COVID. Um, it's only every once in a while and, and you have great teams there like Leon. Um, but they've got a huge TV deal, Mike. What I, what I think would be great is if they had a, almost like spent half the season being a like international world club league you know yeah, they, they have to figure out yeah they're going to tr- configure it in, a, in another way somehow like have a champions league for the europe and the nwsl because those games that i saw when the best nwsl teams played like a manchester city or leon those were the best some of the best women's games i've ever seen well you know this look guys this is also a time when i know a lot of like in the comedy business and not that people have had the chance to perform over the last year but there you have the me too movement and the cancel culture happening right now people are very uh you know because just going back to your point grail about being critics uh, critical of of sort of play and our verbiage that is used that everybody is sort of in their heads a little bit right now and i, I just wanted to touch on, um, you know, I was a little disturbed by Megan Rapino. I think, you know, part of the thing with those contracts is it's been misrepresented in public. And I think both U.S. soccer and and the women who have spoken out have been sort of not totally honest with what they're saying. I think most people that I talk to and most people that I know are like, yeah, equal pay for absolutely. But when I start to break it down for them a little bit, saying the contract structures are different and people are like, oh, didn't know that. And I think when it's misrepresented, it does a disservice to all of the game. Well, there was anybody- a reason why, there's a reason why they lost the lawsuit. I mean, the look, everybody, I think, I think all of us believe in equal pay. And that yeah. is what I'm saying. Um, but you, if you switch the contracts from the men to women, the women would get less because 
the federation pays the women more than they do the men. The, the men make healthcare. More, they get more from FIFA and they get more from their clubs, right? Right. If anybody needed to be sued, it would have been FIFA. That's the difference in the pay. That the men's right. World Cup bonus is bigger than the women's World Cup. That's not U.S. soccer. That's FIFA. Right. What right. the next step should be, and I hope it happens for someone like Megan Rapinoe, who I admire for a lot of reasons, but the next step I want to see from her is to talk about the NWSL players who aren't on the national team. Those are the players that need to be paid more. You know, that league needs to succeed. The, 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 the women on the national team, they're doing quite well, right? Um, yeah. We need the next 500 women and the next tens of thousands of girls playing to get as much support as they possibly can. Right. And, I, and that means putting fans in the seats. I always refer back to my pathetic professional career. I couldn't ask for any money because there were 3,000 people in the stands. So it's sort of like, and then it built up and we've gone through this MLS growth. So I think with women, there are more, more variables. So I think I've said this over and over to our listeners, all seven of them. I said, you know, if you want to support women's soccer, go to the games, but make it a family outing. It's, it's priced friendly. It's, it's a great family atmosphere and it's wonderful for your, your sons and daughters. Uh, support the team that way, and uh, and everybody should be uh, should be sort of upfront and honest about what we're talking about. So, um, I always get in trouble because I I say to my some of my uh, female friends, I I did it yesterday. I said, okay, hun, on the way off the uh, off the phone, and she said, if you do that again, I will come over your house and throttle you. <laughs> it's a terrible habit that I've got to break myself of. I sound like an old man because perhaps I am. You can call me hun, Kevin. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was about to. Uh, sweetie cakes. Uh, sweetie pies. Hey, well, Mike, man, we're uh, we're happy you got up early there in the West Coast. I'm with you now. I got to wake up with you now. Not not next year, of course, but, uh, you know, in our homes because uh, I'm on the West Coast, too. So uh, we appreciate you getting us up to date on um, on all that's happening. I knew you'd be plugged into what was, uh, you know, the you know, inner machinations of uh, that whole soccer, U.S. soccer, men's league, under 20s, uh, you know. So it's uh, it's been great to caught up. Anything in Soccer America we should be looking for this week? Uh, we are going to do a lot of sort of throwback stuff, um, looking at our coverage over the last 50 years. April 8th is when uh, we started in 1971. Um, also, April 2001 was when we started Soccer America Daily, the e-letter. Um, so we'll be looking back at... Uh, some of the people we covered during those days and it's been a lot of fun going through stacks and stacks of i love uh, that stuff i love that yeah, stuff it's like uh, i reminded that when we had billy gazonis on the show uh and and his book but i think you should do a pull full feature on the 1986 kalamazoo kangaroos that would be the uh you know the powerhouse kalamazoo <laughs> kangaroos that's a um, great nickname Oh, it was. It was unfortunately. It wasn't a nickname. It was the name of the of the, of the team. So, all right, Mike Waitola of Soccer America. We appreciate you joining us on Over the Ball. Uh, we'll talk to you again. Thanks, pal. My pleasure. Bye. Thanks for having me. Hey, remember to tweet us at Over the Ball, like us on Facebook and Instagram, and write a review. In fact, make us one of your favorites. It makes a big difference. All right, guys. Always. Uh, Great to wake up Mike Wojtola on the West Coast. And <laughs> You're get still, his... still saying Wojtola, but that's okay. Wojtola. <laughs> Wojtola. Um, so it was a good, you know, it's interesting. Mike knows that the backstory with the Tab Ramos and Jason Christ coming in late. And I think, I think we're still feeling a lot of the ramifications, the, uh, the, the effects of 
not making any decisions for a full year plus. So, um, mm-hmm. I mean, we've been certainly been encouraged by the full national team, how they've looked a lot of new players coming in and out. The, the pool has gotten so big. I can't keep track of everyone, but um, you know, but still at the end of the day, a bummer, we don't qualify for the Olympics. Uh, you know, so. Yep. And of course the pool is only as good as how they all play together. But uh, I, I do agree with Sam. I think Burhalter's moving in the right direction by being flexible with that formation. I like that. Yeah, also thought they got countered on a little bit. It's scary, yeah. you know, because they maintain possession and then all of a sudden they're they're vulnerable, really vulnerable. Yeah. So, By the uh, way, just uh, quickly, I don't know that Ochoa, the uh, U.S. Olympic men's goalie, is ever going to be the same after that gaffe that he... I, I like him. I like him, but, you know, good. everybody's He's made good. a gaffe. Zach Steffen huh. on the full side has made those yeah. mistakes as well. And look, this is... I'd love to have another... You know, we'll have to have a goalkeeper on pretty quick to talk about it, but there's a new pressure on keepers to be able to play with your feet it almost seems like it reminds me of the old indoor days where your keeper had to be a player he had to be a sweeper keeper and it's putting these guys under pressure and there's this real negativity to say don't boot the ball out but sometimes yeah. you know you notice liverpool's doing it now they're just knocking it out there sometimes and it's and it's interesting because he actually tried the far more complicated pass he had a guy right in front of him his defender like 10 yards ahead of him and he decided to try to pass it to the side and well, he just tried, you know, he tried to do it with composure because you don't want to yeah. be a panicky keeper. And he no. just played it a little too, you know, he tried to play it to the guy's feet where he should have played it to this, to the space where the guy was. Well, and credit uh, to the Honduras guy for putting a leg up there and doing like a foosball stuff on him. It's just, uh, um, all right. So, Sam, what do we got? We have a uh, quiz today? Yeah, re- real quick little quiz looking ahead to the MLS season, which uh, gets okay. underway in a couple of weeks. Um, so according to DraftKings, who is the odds on favorite for MLS Cup 2021? I'm going to go with um, Columbus LAFC. LAFC, yeah, you, yeah, no, nice. you guys are spot on. So LAFC is the favorite at 4.5 to 1, and Columbus are the second favorite at 5.5 to 1, followed by uh, Seattle Sounders at 6.5 to Just 1. Just number two to me again, Flinny. There wow, you go. Wow, really? Yeah, I'm the, <laughs> I'm the Columbus to your LAFC. That's what I am. So good work. So building off that, uh, what are the odds for top goal scorer for this season? Oh, why are you going oh it's got to be, what's his name from LA? Um, Vela. Yeah. Carlos Vela. All right, El- correct. El- Carlos Vela at 2.5 to 1, followed by another LAFC striker, Diego Rossi at 3 to 1, and then Raul, Rossi. Uh, Rui Diaz at Seattle at 4 to 1. So I'm, I'm trying to do my bit. the way Rui bit. Diaz plays, man. I love the way he nice. plays. You're getting into MLS. I like I'm it, I'm trying Sam. to do this my bit and get stuff yeah. out there and get people. You need it. to curate your full soccer exposure, not just be Syria ah focused, this myopic focus. I want to focus. get back to the next time. Uh, Sam talking about like percentage of headers and things like that. Sam was going deep. That's the deep dive. That's the deep dive is how many left footed, slightly injured guys have kicked the ball in the third minute of the eighth game of the, the, I love that stuff. I started to come to the show with a slide rule and a compass to figure (laughs) out what he had going on. This audience, this audience doesn't even know what a slide rule is. You know, um, all right. Is that it, Sam? The quiz? That's I, all. That's I all like to quit while I'm ahead. I think, well, I came in second yeah, out of two well places, done. so I feel Ooh, good. You're on a roll. Um, all right. Well, uh, anything else before we get going? Yeah. So this Games. weekend, this weekend, Leicester Man City and Arsenal Liverpool on Saturday, return of EPL. 
Yeah. Two two big two big games there. That's the one I'm watching. And yeah. do we know what channel it's on? Like some sort of new network that has to be. Um, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm crossing my fingers and saying NBC Sports Network. I, as, I, as I bet you there's a peacock. You I think bet there's, there's a peacock, peacock games. Okay. All right. Bet you there's a peacock game. So, so I just uh, have one this week. The all all the Sedia matches this week are on Saturday because of Easter Sunday. But there's not really anything that worth it in my opinion. But um on Saturday 12:30 ESPN two we have Leipzig against Bayern. Mm. Uh, who are the top two teams in the Bundesliga with Bayern currently ahead by four points. And uh, I oh. think this being on ESPN two, this is the first game I'm aware of that's actually been on a main ESPN channel and not on the streaming service. So this I could will be, be wrong Taylor. I think this will be John champion and Taylor because they did the England Poland game. I'm pretty sure they're doing that game. This will get a, right. get, this yeah. will give us an, uh, a great opportunity for Grail to be critical of Taylor Twelman on the, on the actually broadcast. you know what? no actually I, I've got to say that I agreed with Taylor and Alexi and uh, Tim Howard in their post match comments. That oh was yeah, spot on. yeah. On in what respect? What well, well, ju- well, just in terms of um, you know, kind of the unacceptability of it, and the fact that right. you can't say that the team wasn't good enough. This team was good enough to qualify, and that can't be the reason. Yeah, I mean yeah. the bench guys. Yeah, so uh, so and, you know it was nice to talk to Mike about that as well. All right, guys. Well, that's all the time we have today on Over the Ball. Everybody, uh, join us next week. We're gonna have Nigel Barker on. He was an American's foot top model or something photographer. Guys, did you guys watch that show at all? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm boning up on it as we speak. Boning up on uh, on models there that were there, uh, <laughs> so to speak. So uh, yeah, he was a model himself, then a big photographer, and I think twelve years that ran. And he's got a serious. Uh, and I think ex- you said he was he's a Chelsea supporter. He's a Chelsea supporter, so uh, lots of time. Him. Yeah, yeah. So he uh, he was simply, Nigel show. <laughs> he unlike you was born there in the Chelsea yeah, area, so he grew up with them. So uh, it'll be great yeah. to get caught up with him. All right, everybody, I'd like to thank our guest, Mike Watola, executive editor of Soccer America. For Grail Hallett, the mighty mind of the midfield, and Sam Griswold, I'm Kevin Flynn, and we'll talk to you next time on OTB. 